Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everybody to the I-29 MUU University podcast. Uh, We're excited today to do something just a little bit different. Uh, Probably the man who needs no introduction across the upper Midwest is Dr. Leo Timms, who was a dairy extension specialist for many years, Uh, had classes that everybody uh, who went to dairy science uh, walked in the door and recognized Leo immediately. At this point, we're just going to do a little career chat. Leo, welcome to the podcast and start out by telling us a little bit about how you started into your dairy career. Sure. Thanks, uh, Jim and Fred, and uh, good morning, I-29 group and everybody else. I miss you since retiring. I don't connect as much, but anyway, I'll make it real Quick, you know, how do you get where you get? I'll make it quick. Sometimes there's a lot of turn events. I was born in a small, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, an old coal mining town. Mom was raising us as a single parent. Really didn't have much connection with dairy, although there was dairy all around us in Pennsylvania in the hills, but I lived in the old coal mining town. Fortune has it, I had an 18-year-old sister in a unique unique way, but she met a dairy farmer in high school, went to high school a little ways from Scranton, and he was 18. He got out and his dad said, okay, you milk the cows. They had 25 cows in a stanchion barn. And a year later, my sister was 18 and graduated and married him. Along the way, um, my brother-in-law really liked me. So my sister, and uh, so he'd come every week. We didn't have a car and he'd take me up to the farm. Uh, lo and behold, he tells me now he really liked me, but I, he was, it was a great way to get his cows milked on weekends. <laughs> cheap and believe it or not i i um i fell in love with milking and clean you know cleaning barns manually drive the manure spreader in and shovel you know and i just i like physical work and i i fell in love with cows i just tried to pursue that even in high school i mean i i was a good student uh, math and science but uh i just said i wanted to do dairy probably a big turn of events for me i thought about young people said you have to go to college and i was debating whether i would uh had some things happen lost my mom when I was 15 and dad even though he wasn't there i lost him when i was 13 so you know, i was trying to make some decisions about my life and i got a letter today you get like four page ads when you're like born about going to college and you know i got one letter from one college and it was cornell university right ivy league but they said hey ag engineering is really good and you're you're really good in math and science and it sounds like you like dairy so how about coming and i was like excited i kept that letter and i i applied to court or i said they're the only school i sent my things to and uh when i got in i did i wanted to not go to school for a couple of years i had some family issues needed to raise money i asked them to defer for a year or two or i was going to go in the service and they deferred and lo and behold i went to i went to cornell in ag engineering um, they wanted me to be a theoretical engineer i when i didn't do so good in physics I thought, that's, I don't want all these formulas. I want to do applied stuff. Anyway, I ended up, uh, I did it in three and a half years. I got two degrees, uh, one in animal science, one in ag engineering. And I was just starting my senior year with my fraternity friends and we were having rush. And I didn't want to work in a company and I was really searching. I really wanted to get more farm experience and I lucked out. I got a call from a farm 
out in western New York, a man named Tony Preischel. At the time, you can think about it, 1977, 78, he was milking 300 cows. So he was in an area that you either milked a lot of cows or you vegetable farmed, seasonally milked 30 to 50 cows and then did that. I packed up my little car. I left all my friends. They wondered why my last part of senior year and I drove to the farm and uh, spent about two and a half years there. Tony and I became great friends. I got a great experience there and I love the farm and I love working with people on the farm and I love the cows. Uh, so I was a herdsman. Uh, but as I was there, uh, we got up to about 400 cows. Largest area in the time nearest was a thousand. And, uh, but we had people around us, I say, milking 30 cows. Anyway, the long and the short, as I was there, I had a great veterinarian, very progressive, said, hey, you should be thinking about going to school. You, you enjoy people. You're a pretty good educator. I also love tinkering with milking equipment. I had a milking equipment guy said, think about it. So I applied to three graduate schools, Virginia Tech, Cornell, and Wisconsin. I got in all three, um, all with great people. But, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I understood people and going to school, but I chose Wisconsin, not because it was a dairy state, because I thought it would be cool to see a Big Ten football game. <laughs> I had watched Cornell play football, and they, they weren't very, you know, the Ivy League wasn't great. So I thought, hey, this is cool, you know, and I ended up knowing somebody there, so I got a place to live in. And anyway, I picked up my stakes, my truck, and I drove to Madison overnight. It was great. I spent four and a half years there, you know, about, just four and a half years, but I got a master's and a PhD in, in that time frame. Probably the biggest events in my life. The first week I was there, I met my future wife. And a year or so later, we were married. Had two kids while we were there. Finished things up in October 1984. But that February, I was interviewing for different you know, positions coming up. And a great position came up at Iowa State. In extension, being in the field. Didn't have teaching or research at the time, but 100% extension. Uh, also interviewed for a job in Washington State, one in Wisconsin. But I, I fell in love with the opportunity at Iowa State great state, great dairy industry. And in reality, I had a department chair. When I interviewed, I said, I want to do extension. I want to be in the field. And, and I said, but I'd like to do research and I'd like to be in a classroom. And the, and the answer was, you can do that, but you're 100% extension. So just work more. But I, I had a great mentor, a great leader, and they allowed me to do that. When I came, I was able to do some research. I was able to network the first year with the vet school. We started the first dairy production medicine program in the whole nation. I could connect with students. And I'll just boil it down. Many of you know me. I spent 37 years at Iowa State, and I'm going to tell you, it, it was the greatest time of my life. I can remember telling my wife after the first year, you know, this job is so good. I don't think we'll ever leave. And it was right. You know, I'm tingling right now. I mean, I could go out and be with people in the field and the best farmers or veterinarians or people who drank milk or made milk or consumed it. And then I could go in the classroom and be stimulated by the, some of the brightest minds, whether in animal science, dairy science, veterinary medicine, ag engineering. You, you know, in reality, you surround yourself with good people. And I did. Uh, some of them are on the network today. My dairy team in Iowa and our Midwest whether it's the I-29 or the four state, they're the best people in the world. We're, we have a tremendous program, have a lot of respect for them. That's kind of where I'm at. You know, I did that 37 years and you say, well, now what? And I, I retired three years ago. Maybe that's the next part you want to hear about. Well, we are sure glad that you decided to make Iowa State your home. Uh, you've been an amazing impact, uh, not only in Iowa, but to the dairy industry at large. Jim, do you think the folks up in Minnesota uh, have seen the results of 
Leo's work? Yeah, I think probably around the world, quite frankly. And I just like to thank Leo. I mean, he's been so good. All our four state group, as Leo mentioned, have just been so good to work with and not just the four state group, but I've, it's one thing I've always liked about being in academics is I can reach out to people from other universities and they're very accommodating and very nice and they're always willing to chip in and help with any kind of problem you have. And Leo's done that a number of times. I know we've had some issues with betting over the years. I've had questions on T-dips all around that area. And of course, Leo's done a lot of, probably the leading researcher, wouldn't you say, Leo on T-dent health and winter health and different T-dips and formulations. I mean, I, I think you've done a lot of things, but I think you were the go-to guy in the whole U.S. really regarding that. Well, I'll, I'll just make a couple of jokes about that. Number one, people said I laid at, home at night and looked up and what I was really looking at were teats, but they were cows. <laughs> but I will tell you a really paramount thing. And this is the way you have colleagues. I remember and this is way back early in my career. You know, winter, we, you know, we didn't have barns like we didn't everything. And, you know, the cows went out and got frozen teats. You got that. And so we started looking at that. And I went to a national meeting. I was in a research group and I said, hey. You know, everybody says it's this and that, blaming the milking equipment guy. Weather really impacts this. And I think I'm going to do this and look at some ideas for dips. And I remember a really good colleague, Joe Hogan, you know, Joe, he's very outspoken from Iowa State. He said, look, we don't believe you. I go, what do I have to do to convince you? And he goes, you got to go back and you got to look at cow teats every day, at least a few times a week for a whole year. I was so upset when he said that, but I went back, I scratched my head. And in, in the in the mid '90s, we came back, and that was the paramount thing. We basically took the Iowa State herd, 200 cows, uh, an animal science student, a veterinary student. We scored teats two to three times a week, took pictures for a whole year. And 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 I will tell you, you know what? I I didn't know squat about teats and how they changed. And that person challenging me, and that's what I liked in our jobs. Right? We could always agree to disagree, but if you really listen, people had good ideas. And from that, that's where we started to look at. And we could look at the impact of dips and other things and the development of whether it's winter dips or all kinds of formulations. And that developed a whole program, which I'm going to tell you at Iowa State, done everything from peroxide dips in Europe and all the major companies to all around the world. But it was also a really nice way to showcase Iowa State's dairy and actually bring research dollars in. We all know you have to bring money in to support your dairy farm. Again, a fun area, but lots of, there's other fun areas. Betting, re, repro, nutrition. I mean, if you get to know me, I like a lot of things. So that was the fun thing about my job. Yeah, Leo, actually, your name came up two days ago on a farm call I had, and it was about whether sand was having some issues. They couldn't get their sand real clean. I said, you know, Leo Tims did some work on organic matter and sand and what's the maximum should be. And he did that. So I found a couple studies that you had done. So I think we're going to do a little looking at the sand because that's, you know, somatic cell count is higher than they should. It's reusable sand. So, you know, you're still making a pretty big impact on, obviously, on what you did in the past. Well, I'm not ready to write another article, uh, but there are articles out there and what they should do about that. But I, I will tell you, for a long time, we did that. We we would have people send SAM samples all over, never charged them. And we would run organic matter moisture because those are critical. And not just in sand, but the important thing was, and people say, why'd you do it for nothing? Because there were labs that were doing, spent a lot of money because that, again, that allowed us to see a myriad of farm. You know, it's nice to say this is the benchmark. 
But, you know, there's all kinds of different kinds of sand. I mean, you start to piece it together. And I'm going to tell you the greatest continuing education in the world for me was to have people send me their samples and tell me about their farms. And that gave me the knowledge. And, and uh, you know, people used to say, well, you all go to too many farms doing farm business. I told people two things. Number one, may go there and not give any knowledge. It's continuing education. It's how we learn. And then number two is when we're going there, oftentimes maybe we're concurrent with somebody else. and That's what it takes. And then maybe sometimes it's some new knowledge, right? But I think your ability to network and interact. And so uh, up until about two years ago, even after I retired, I still let people send Sam samples in. And I'm sure if you have somebody, I could sneak one in and we could do something. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be good. I'm Leo? an emeritus professor. Yeah, there you go. Leo, over 37 years in the Iowa dairy industry, you've seen a lot of change and we can identify some just off the top of our head herds are bigger fewer stanchion and tie stall bonds uh sand bedding what are the the top changes or top things in your mind that you've seen over this time wow you know change is inevitable so you're right you just named some of them i i think uh I told you, we did the, some of the early work in heat stress in 1988. Cows were dying in Iowa. Beef cows were dropping dead, right? And then winter. So what we have learned over the years, and we continue to learn about cow comfort, about facilities, about those kind of things, about needs of animals. And it's not that we didn't care about animals before. We're just trying to understand. Uh, there's no question how we take care of animals, the things we do, and understand what impact that has in their productivity and livelihood. You know, nutrition's always changing, but, you know, look where we used to go to crude protein, whatever. Now look at all the things we know and how much better we can dial in. I'll give you a good example. You know, years ago, we'd, we'd have, high, uh, again, milk components make farmers money, right? And we'd have high fat and protein, but people say, well, the cows aren't milking, right? And then we learned how to get milk out of cows and people say, well, you're just going to have to accept we have low fat tests. And that used to bother me. I'd say, that's not true. I can take you to farms that don't. And now with the, the advent of some of the technologies and fats, and you know, look at who would have thought that we could have the fat test we have today and the protein and the production and the health of the cows. And it's all there. And, and you know, you could go on and on, repro techniques and things like that. But, but maybe what I'd like to go back to is uh, maybe two things. Because I'm not so sure some things do change. Maybe we think about it. Number one, is our industry, yes, we have cows and buildings and that, but it's all driven by people. People making decisions, people working, people networking. And that's a commonality. And do I believe we all think differently, act differently, and do things that we've all changed? To some degree, yes. But in reality, we're all people who like working in the industry, who care about people, who care about solving problems. For most of us, I think we're all pretty humble. We, we can agree to disagree, but it's all about working together. I don't think that's changed, and I don't think that will ever change. Number two, I'm going to make a statement here, and you know I've made it a lot. I have a, a slideshow I've used for many years called The Many Faces of Dairy Industry, built 20, 30 years ago. Our industry continues to get bigger. There's no question. In Iowa, you know, two, two 10,000 cow dairies, and that makes the average jump in others. And, and certainly, you know, maybe going back to just cows and herds and numbers, right? Have we seen change? Yeah, I do know when I came to Iowa, there were 6,100 herds. There's 1,000, and that's changed some good people. But I also saw a lot of people make great decisions about why they did or didn't want to stay in the industry. Some were financial, some were I want to be a priest and a nurse, and I don't want to rebuild the barn. 
I can remember a student, uh, one of my students coming in and tell me his mom and dad, uh, in a well, and his grandpa was well known in the dairy industry. And he asked me what I thought. And his dad and mom talked to me. Dad wanted to be a minister and the, she wanted to be a nurse. They didn't want to invest. And they're very successful today in their careers. My thought is help people to think about their choices, but then let make people make their choice. But I'm going to come to today because we talk about our industry being bigger and everybody, you know, and newspapers. I, I'm going to tell you, sometimes our state legislature, we talk about ag and they, that's all they want to do is go to big places. You know, we do a, a statewide dairy survey, right? And Fred, you know that. And I think we can go to other states. People still have 15 to 20 percent of farms that are milking less than 50 cows. Certainly, certainly maybe 30 to 40 percent or more, maybe 50 percent less than 100 cows. Now, some of those have gone to free stalls and others. There's still some tie stall barn. But we don't talk about that. What's really cool about our industry, we have a diversity of sizes, shapes, forms, systems. It's like the organic versus conventional. We beat each other up. Why don't we just talk about those are just simply systems that people choose to use. At the end of the day, it's all about safe, wholesome milk in a sustainable way. You can do that any way you want. If you want to have 50 cows, and I can tell you, I can take you to some 50 cow dairies that can make it today without any farm income. They've just figured things out, maybe selling a little genetics. You know, we have our we have an Amish group that milk smaller number of cows, but they're diverse. And then we have people at 10 or 20 or 30,000 cows. I think the greatest thing is they, they can all get in the room, work together, and not worry about size, not worry about systems, and work for the common good. So as I look at all the change, it's certainly all improved and done the right things. And it improved us as people, including, you know, we're people managers now, maybe not cow managers. But in reality, I used to always go back and say, but the fundamental is the same. It's good, healthy cows managed by good people who are enjoying what they do. Amen. Wow. I think you're right, Leo. And I think, Leo, you're right. One thing about dairy that I think at least for the majority of the, the there's so many different systems that can be successful versus what I typically will see more in poultry. Although now with poultry, we've got a lot of people selling local eggs. But I think that is kind of unique about dairy. There's just a lot of systems, a lot of different sizes that really can do pretty well. But yeah, that was um, a really good mouthful. Fred, you were saying something. You know, the, the idea that the people are the cog that turns all the wheels. I really, I like that. Uh, we've got just about two minutes left. Uh, I've got a question, Fred, for Leo. Okay. You know, you've got a diverse background. You know, I really like your perspective on life. And I think any listeners would hear now, you know, we've, we spent a lot of time together, Leo. What do you think is a key if you're advising young people that are thinking about getting in the dairy industry or even young people that may not be or just thinking about a career? I just think you've got a, a really good head on you. What advice would you give them as somebody who's kind of in retirement right now? You know, I have this checklist of people, whether they want to go into dairy or whatever. Or what do you want to do? And you think about subject matter. But then there's all the other things people don't talk about, whether they're getting a job or whether they're just coming to school or even it's us in life. You know, do you like people? Do you want to do this? Do you like problem solving? Do you do that? For me, you know, people try to pigeonhole. I mean, I, we've had dairy kids become nurses. We've had nurses become dairy kids, right? They're all teachable moments. I think for me, that's a unique thing. I have, I'm, you're right, but we all have unique circumstances. I have different things that have happened in my life. Wonder how the heck I got here and why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is, you know, uh, I'll end with 99.99% isn't in dairy, right? I do some farms and I like doing this, but 
my calling, you know, my calling was I enjoy working with people, solving problems, being comrades, volunteering, and that's what I'm doing. But I'll go back to what you said. We all have a teachable moment and don't get frustrated. It will come. And when that teachable moment comes and you hit what you really want to do, all I tell people, you may not have experience like dairy or whatever. If you have passion and you have a willingness to learn and listen and network with the right people, and they're willing to also listen to you and hear what you have. So it's a two-way street. That's it, right? So for me, take this right. All my dairy friends, people say, well, how can you walk out of the dairy industry when you're retired and, and you know, be spending very little time? Well, I phased back because I did want to volunteer. But I tell people what I'm doing now is, is re- dairy is a subject. Yes, it's a passion and I love it, but it's a subject. So is when I do hospice. So is when I work in the boys club. So I ask kids, what's the fundamental things that drive you inside? And then find the subject you want and go for it. And it's about passion. And I'll end there. That's what it is. I'm passionate well, f- about what I do. I'm passionate about life. I'm passionate about what I did. And, and thanks to the I-29 group, to the dairy people, to people eat ice cream and I talked about. It's been a great, it's been a great career and it's still a great life. Leo, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Very insightful as far as where you've come from, what you did, uh, what you're doing now. Uh, We appreciate spending the time with this podcast. I'd like to thank the listeners to the I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast, and we'll look forward to talking with you again later on this month. We'd like to thank our 2022-23 annual I-29 sponsors, Iowa Corn Growers Association and T-Lay Dairy Video Sales. Learn more about Iowa Corn Growers Association at iowacorn.org. Learn more about T-Lay Dairy Video Sales at tlaydairyvideosales.com. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.